0: Thank you uh, to the choir uh, for leading us this morning. And uh, certainly, as Liz said in her prayer, this has continued to be a a tough week for many uh, here in Zionsville and around um, the Indianapolis area. And so we would ask that you would continue to pray for all those affected. Pray for the Sheltons, the Reeses, the Huns. Um, uh, They certainly will continue to need, perhaps even more so, your prayers and thoughts in the weeks to come. Uh, and also, of course, um, we are celebrating having Great Banquet this weekend, the Men's Great Banquet. Next weekend will be the Women's Great Banquet, and so we are excited for that. And also, just as one last announcement, if you want to go to Kentucky, there is still some space, I hear. Uh, and so if you want to do the mission trip to Kentucky, it's a great mission trip, especially if you have children, but it doesn't matter. You can, be, you can have someone who's 10 or someone who is 110, Uh, And they can come to that. So if you want to talk to Jim Martin uh, out in the gathering space afterwards, I invite you to do that. Uh, Last weekend, um, though certainly uh, it continued, um, uh, we could easily could have framed it as being shaped like Jesus in the sense of Jesus being um, the one who both wept um, the one also who took in those who were weeping, but we uh, we, we went obviously in a little different place last weekend um, due to the uh, the struggles and the difficult tragedy that um, that we were kind of facing. Uh, and so this week though, we are continuing kind of getting back on track with looking at what does it mean for us to be shaped like Jesus and so As a way of doing that, this morning we're going to look at two texts. uh, One in the Gospel of Matthew and one in the book of Jeremiah. So I invite you to hear these words. First from Matthew Then, uh, after Jesus kind of came into Jerusalem, just to remind you, um, um, right before Passover, then Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of Prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then to go back into the Old Testament from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 5 through 11, say this. For if you, speaking to the Israelites, truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever." Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are safe only. To go on and doing all these abominations, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I, too, am watching, says the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we gather here this morning. After a week of difficulties, and yet we continue to gather. We gather, Lord, because we are reminded that you have called us to do so out of a love for us. Lord, we know that you desire us to point to you always in times of joy and in times of sorrow. For we know that you are the God that meets us wherever it is that we are. You are Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to you. To what you would have to say to us. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, Remember that a part of the reason why we're doing this particular series is because we realize that far too often we engage in lots of actions and we forget why it is that we're doing what it is that we're doing. As we are so busy going this way and that, hither and thither. By the way, I said hither and thither a couple weeks ago, and some people thought I was uh, making a joke. I love, I'm old school, I love hither and thither, amen? Amen. All right, fine, thank you um, for that. So, hither and thither, in the midst of all of those things, right, and being such a fast-paced world where we keep doing all these things, including in the church, it is very easy for us to forget why it is that we exist, and so we need to remember why it is that we are here. And one of the things that we said is a part of the reason why we are here, a major part of the reason why we are here is in order to be shaped more like Jesus. Our prayer is that we will go to bed looking more like Jesus than when we woke up. And so we keep going back to 2 Corinthians 3.18, and remember how the message puts that, which is that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives, and we become like him. As As we confess, as we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then as we begin to grow, we should begin to grow more and more like Jesus, which means we become brighter and more beautiful as we reflect him more and more. And the more that we do that, and this is what we'll start talking about in the new year, the more then our neighborhoods, our communities, our state, our country, our world should begin to reflect the coming kingdom of God. And so two weeks ago when we kind of kicked this off, we looked at what does it mean to have Jesus-shaped Love. And if you were here, you may remember we talked about John 3, 16 and 17, this huge, this amazing passage that talks about how God loves the whole world, this kind of earth shattering, kind of world changing love that's, that, that we all want to be a part of, right? And yet, when you look at the life of Jesus, by and large, especially during those three years, he was doing these incredibly, what looks like seemingly small and insignificant things, like noticing people who weren't being noticed, or eating with sinners, with prostitutes and others. And and we're reminded of the fact that the love, like Paul talks about, about being patient and kind and gentle, that this is Jesus-shaped love, and that we have to remember that it's upon this foundation that earth shatters, and world changing love um, um, is able to, to finally come into full formation. Now, the problem is, is that with great frequency, when it comes to Jesus shaped love or when it comes to Jesus, we like to focus on particular aspects of Jesus and then not focus on other aspects. So we love the Jesus-shaped love part of Jesus, right? We love the Jesus who notices people who aren't oftentimes noticed. Why? Because there's many times when we aren't noticed, and it's great to know that Jesus still notices us. Uh, We love it whenever we get to see Jesus eating with sinners because we know that oftentimes we are those. Trust me, you are those sinners, right? Right? We we love that. We love hearing about the Jesus who forgives. We love hearing about the Jesus who has an immense amount of grace. We love that, and that is absolutely Jesus, without question. But that isn't the only part of Jesus. That's why if you get too caught up in that particular image, then when you see the image in Matthew 21, it can shock you just a little bit. Who is this Jesus. This is not cuddly Jesus. This is not what James Bryan Smith calls uh, Mr. Rogers Jesus. Right, this, this Jesus seems a bit harsher. He just walks in. It doesn't seem like he even says anything. And before you know it, all of a sudden there are tables that are being thrown up in the air. Birds are being thrown up in the air. And words are coming out of Jesus' mouth. They're being thrown up in the air. This is supposed to be a place of prayer. And you have made it into a den of robbers. This is not cuddly Jesus. And so the question then is if we're supposed to be shaped like Jesus, then, then how does it look for us to be shaped like this particular Jesus that we see in Matthew 21? Why is it that he's acting like this? Is he just having a bad day? Is he hangry? Is he, this is oftentimes what I wonder, is Peter dressing up like Jesus on this day and he fools Matthew? Because Peter would do this, but Jesus? And a part of what's a big struggle is we don't know exactly why it is that Jesus does this. Now, people will tell you they know exactly why. And if you look at scholars, they seem to have all the certitude of the world. They know exactly why Jesus is doing this. But guess what? They don't. Because when you begin to see it, you see that everyone has this great idea. Oh, well, we know why. It's because of the fact that they were selling things. They're, 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 they're profiting off of religion. That's why Jesus is upset. And you read that and you think, okay, well, that makes sense. Sure. And then you read somebody else who says, Well, the problem is, you see, is that they were putting these sacrificial animals so close to the temple that they were making religion easy. Don't worry, you don't have to bring any animals. You don't have to bring your own doves or or goats or whatever else it may be. You just come here and we'll just make it real easy. We'll spoon feed you. And you think, Okay, maybe maybe that's it. but, but then you read others, and they say, well, no, 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 it's because they were doing this in the Gentile section of the Holy of Holies, and they would never do this in the Jewish section, and so this is clear kind of uh, ethnocentrism, this is clear racism, and that's why Jesus is upset, oh, okay, and Uh, But then someone else will come along and say, oh, no, 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 that's not, it has nothing to do with the money changers. It's because at this time, all of the rebellious Jews, they were using the temple for a headquarters instead of using it for a place of prayer. And this is why it is that Jesus is so upset. And so we really, as you look at it, it's kind of frustrating because how are you supposed to preach on something when you don't know exactly what it is that Jesus was so upset about? Now, there are a couple of good things about the fact that it's a bit ambiguous, which is this. First of all, if we knew exactly why it was, then we would say to ourselves, okay, let's not do this, but everything else is okay. Right? And that sense of not knowing for sure, I think, can kind of be a little bit helpful. Plus, then a pastor or preacher can go anywhere, uh, which is always good. Um, but then secondly, here's the other thing, which is that it forces you, to begin to dig down a little bit more into this particular passage and more specifically into what passage it is to which Jesus is alluding. You, you, you perhaps heard it. Jesus didn't just say, This is to be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of robbers. Jesus says, It is written. Now, my guess is most of you knew exactly where that was written in the Old Testament, right? Absolutely. Now we, there may be a couple of you who didn't, there's a couple of us that didn't, but more than likely, and we've talked about this before, in that day and age, the Jews, they, they, when they were growing up, they memorized the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, it is written, and he began to tell them the passage, they would know which passage. And of course, that passage is what? Jeremiah. I knew you knew it. Jeremiah 7, right? The, the passage that I read earlier today. And so So what we should do when we read this and we say, well, why is Jesus so upset? We should go back to Jeremiah. And we say, well, why would he pick this particular text? What's going on in Israel at this particular time? And here's what's going on in Israel at this particular time, which is that there are people who are oppressing the alien or the foreigners. There are people who are committing adultery. There are people who are stealing. There are people who are worshiping other gods. And here's the thing. They do that. And then they come into the sanctuary and, oh, you should hear their prayers. They're so beautiful. The songs that are sung are so wonderful. They they listen to the preaching. They never fall asleep. I mean, they do an amazing job. They come in and they just worship gloriously. And then they go back home or to their places of work or wherever it is they play and they begin to do the exact same sin and abominations that they were doing before they came into worship. In other words, nothing about their life has changed. Nothing. And they come in here and they act like they're just living the greatest of lives for God and then they go home and everything stays the same. So that what is critical to know about the gospel of Matthew is not specifically what it is that Jesus is upset about. But it is to know this. Jesus will always begin to turn the tables in our lives when he begins to get a whiff of the fact that we keep coming in here and saying, We are safe. Everything is going to be fine. God's not punished us yet. We're doing well. And you do nothing to change the way you are actually begin to live. And Jesus said, I am having none of it. So, what does that mean for us? I think in many ways, what becoming brighter and more beautiful means, if you will, is that it means, it's another way of saying, it is the process of becoming holy. It is the process of becoming holier. And First Peter tells us that we are to be holy just as God, just as Jesus is holy. And I think the process of making sure what we are doing here translates into the actual lives that we are living. I think that is a holy process. The problem, though, is that using the word holy or the word holiness is incredibly difficult for many of us. Uh, for some of us, it seems kind of like an archaic Word, the word holy, it just seems very different. We don't really hear that much. If we ever do hear it around here, we hear it in this phrase, right? Uh, being holier than thou. Right? No one wants to be called holier than thou. That just means you're kind of a, you know, a jerk oftentimes, right? You're, oh, your judgmentalism. Oh, you know everything. So holy's hard in that respect. Holy is also difficult because at times, of course, um, um, some of us have baggage. Maybe we grew up in a tradition of holiness and something like that. And, and, and so you, you think about that and it kind of troubles you. Others, of course, of you, I make no mistake about it, others of you, it's about time, you're saying, that we finally talk about being holy in this place, right? Some of you have been waiting for this ever since I got here. For me if I can be so honest, my problem with the word holy or holiness is the baggage that I have from my own past. Uh, I have, I'm of a multi-generational family of those who have grown up in holiness tradition of Christianity, right? These are traditions like, and this is not to cast any aspersion, I'm just telling you, uh, of like, you know, uh, of the Wesleyan church, the free Methodist Church, uh, the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana. Those are, those are part of the holiness movement. Now, please hear the whole thing before you start thinking I'm talking ill of them. I, I grew up much in that same regard. I have many, many of my uncles, my great uncles, my, uh, my, my, my great grandfather were, were pastors in this tradition. And my mother, when she was growing up as a Free Methodist, she was never able to play cards, uh, she couldn't go to movies. Uh, they couldn't do anything on Sunday mornings or on Sundays at all except for go to church. Um, uh, they, they, they certainly couldn't dance. That was without question. And, and absolutely, they couldn't drink uh, it, Well, water, but they couldn't drink anything of alcohol. What you may not know, you're going to learn this about your pastor today, is that I have a great uncle who in 1968 was a vice presidential candidate for the United States. For the prohibitionist party. And, at, and if you don't believe me, let's see, this is the pen. <clears throat> Roland Fisher is my uncle Roland. And there is the pen. This is legit. I'm not making this stuff up. And that was my uncle Roland, right? He was out of uh, Topeka, Kansas, and he was running. Now, you may also be wondering, because I was, I, I had never heard how he did in the election. Aren't you wondering that? I, I, I can tell. Well, there he is. Now, you have to go all the way down to the bottom. Uh, e. Harold Munn was the, was the presidential, and there he is, the prohibition. Now, uh, 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 Richard Nixon, I could make a jab about this, I'm not going to. He got 31,710,000 votes, but very close to that was a prohibition party coming in at 15,000, um, which is probably at least 14,000 more than I, what I would get, okay? So, so I just tell you this to say, and you can take that down, just to, I just tell you that, A, to say I'm pretty cool um, because of my great uncle, um, but to say that this is kind of, when I thought of the word holy or holiness, this is what I thought of. And sometimes it seemed a bit oppressive. I know it did for my mom. Uh, when my sister and I were growing up and we heard about these things, we always thought, gee whiz, that's really, you know, I mean, that doesn't sound like much fun. You couldn't play like Uno or something. I mean, this just seemed kind of brutal, So when it comes to holiness, that's oftentimes what I think of. And here's the thing. That those in the holiness tradition, you have to give them some credit. Which is that they knew that holiness, that the word holy, it literally means to be set apart from the world around you. To be separate. And I have to say that that is one thing that they understood well. Which is this. That when you're in a relationship with Jesus, that there should be something that grows in how you are different from the world that surrounds you. Oftentimes, of course, the pendulum swings. And right now, we are probably in a pendulum swing where we are far from that. And we are much closer to saying, let's be like the world as much as is humanly possible. And I thought about bringing in a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer quotes. In fact, I put them all on slides and then said forget it. But what they talk about is what you all probably have heard of, which is a sense of cheap grace. Right, This sense that, hey, we can receive grace. It's very similar to the Israelites and to perhaps what Jesus was seeing in Matthew. We can receive grace and then we can just come in here and we can just say, hey, everything is great. We have this grace. And then we can go out and live just like the world and never be changed and be just as dull and ugly as we were before. And so I will give them credit, all the credit in the world that they understood and appreciation for the fact that if we are followers of Jesus, we should look like him. And that means more often than not, we should look different than those around us. I mean, how can we be witnesses to a holy Jesus if everything about our lives is remarkably unholy? That said, I'm not sure they understood all of the aspects of what it means to be holy. In Leviticus, uh, there's a lot of, I know that you guys, probably your favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. Usually that's the first one or two. Leviticus has a lot of regulations in it. Rules and regulations. But one of the things it talks a lot about are about holiness. And there are these things oftentimes that are made holy. Things like spoons. Things like Plates right? Uh, a, a different other kinds of, uh, of utensils, different kinds of pans. They are made holy. Now, Tim Keller makes a great point, which is that, well, it's not because they were behaving better than the other spoons, right? I mean, you can't really do that. But as he says, what made them holy was this fact, that they were, that they were being used as instruments for God. In other words, A part of holiness is not just how are you actually behaving, how are you acting. It is the question of do you understand that you have been set apart by God for the world. Let me say this again, that a part of what holiness, it does not simply mean that you look different than the world. It means that you have been set apart by God from the world but for the world. See, that is very different, it seems to me, than oftentimes my own understanding of what it meant. Because when you begin to understand that, then all of a sudden you begin to understand the reality that yes, we are called to live differently, but we are not called to distance ourselves from the world, but rather we have been created to be different so that we can go and be with the world, so that we can bring what is holy and holiness into the world. Now, here's the thing a spoon and a plate and a pan, those things are very mundane. They are very boring. This is much like our talk about love, which means that oftentimes these holy moments and the way that we are bringing the sacred, the holy into our lives is oftentimes going to look somewhat mundane. It is the way that you use the spoon and how you are using that in order to bring the grace and love of Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. He meets a woman at a well. They're just getting water. And all of a sudden, he has this holy moment with her where she begins to understand for the first time that no matter what her past has been, that she is loved by Jesus. That is a holy moment. Or think about there they were, they're gathered, they had five loaves and two fish. This is just normal meat and bread, you know, I mean, nothing special. But all of a sudden, there's this remarkable, holy miracle, and everyone begins to understand the generosity of God. Or there are these guys and they're just out fishing, right? They're just out fishing. This is what you do. You're out fishing. And in those moments, Jesus meets them there and they begin to follow him and their lives are forever changed. You see, holiness is about taking what we do in the everyday and beginning to see that we, just like the spoon or the plate or the fork, that we are instruments of God. We've been set apart by God from the world but for the world. And one of the things that we have to remember, that we have to realize, as a part of that process, this is kind of a little bit of behind the scenes, if you will, is that the struggle that we as worship leaders have is that we want to make sure of two things. One, that this is a very holy place. That this is called a sanctuary, right? Which is basically coming from the same place, right? Sanctuary, a place of being holy. And we want this to be a place like that. Remember last week, I mean, this was a place for us to gather together. It was a holy place to get away in a sense, right? But to continue to worship God, but to be able to weep, to be able to be angry, but also to be able to say we still believe in the hope of God. We want this to be unique and different. But at the same time, if what we do in here Is too distinct or too different from what we are doing out where we live, then all of a sudden you have a separation. And Matthew or Jesus in Matthew comes in and begins to turn over our tables because he says, You cannot make what you do in here different than what you are doing out there. And so we, with great intention, whether you know this or not, but I'm here to tell you, with great intention, what we want to do is not only make this a place that is holy, but we want to show you how it actually isn't that different from out where you work, live, or play so that you can bring by the power of the Spirit holy moments into what it is that you are doing. Right? So, so, so what does that mean? Well, that means this. So even just last week, we created space for you to be able to be honest, for you to be able to be with one another, for you to be able to voice your concerns, your anguish. That's wonderful, good, and right. But our hope is that by creating that space, then you will have learned this is important so that when you go out into the community where people are asking these questions, where people are struggling, and plenty of people everywhere in our area were asking those questions and were struggling with that, you remember that you can have that space, that we can have those prayers, that we can have that mourning and that weeping because we've done it in this holy place. And when you are there with others in that moment, that is a holy time. Right. It's part of the reason, I say this uh, with some regularity here, because I want you to know why, why we have this massive window. Because at no point, no point, when you are worshiping God, do I ever want you to forget that connected to your worship of God, to your love of God, is your love of neighbor. Throughout the New Testament, there is this, there is this sense that you cannot Say you love God and hate your brother or sister or hate your neighbor. You cannot do that. So that at all times when we are worshiping God and maybe you look across the way and there's someone that you specifically did not sit next to because you do not like that person, when you are worshiping God, there's plenty of light for you to be able to look at that person and say, I'm supposed to love you as well. It's a part of the reason why when I tell stories, I tell in sermons, I try to tell as few canned stories as possible. The stories I want you to hear are stories of fellow ZPCers so that when we talk about Scripture, we can say this is what it actually looks like. Not some, hey, I heard about a man up in a lighthouse. No, no, no. I want you to hear about real people with whom you worship and the ways in which you are enacting this faith. I want you to hear that. It's why we sing. We sing songs, right? And a part of the reason why we sing songs is because you know that songs have a way of getting stuck in your head. Sometimes it's highly annoying, right? I I always get a song stuck in my head. My kids get so tired of hearing me sing it again and again, but I just can't help it. But a part of the reason why we do that is so that when you leave this place and you go out into the world, that whatever it is that you're sitting there, maybe a song that is helpful. How many times, I will tell you many times this week, have I hummed or sung the song, It Is Well With My Soul, the same song that we sang last Sunday, again and again. Why? Because I needed to remember that song amidst the difficulties of last week. It's one of the reasons why, and you guys have heard me say this before, we're going to have a baptism this morning, which is great, and we're using, do you know where this water comes from? Right, from the shores of Lake Michigan probably, right? This is not special water. And I know that there are times when people come in, they want some special water, and we can put that in there. I'm not a legalist about this, but what I want you to know is it is important that this is regular tap water because what makes it holy, right, is not the fact that it kind of comes from some special place. What makes it holy is the Spirit of God that is coming upon the person to whom is being baptized and saying, you have now been set apart to be an instrument for God. It's a part of the reason. I'm not done yet. It's a part of the reason. Why? Do you know what we call this? It is not an altar. I knew I would catch you. It is not an altar. It is a table. Now, look. I know of many who have been raised in different traditions. This is an altar. This is a table. And there's a couple of big reasons why we call it a table. But let me tell you one of them today, which is this because most of you do not have altars at your home. But you know what you do have? You have a table. And the table is there as a reminder that what we do as we surround the table once a month, as we come around the table, we talk about this. Then throughout the week, you are to extend that table. And wherever it is that you are eating with others, there will be opportunities for you to make those moments holy so that you extend what we do here at the table with what you do around whatever table it may be where you are eating See, this is making holy. This is making consistent what we do in here with what we do out there. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of all these little post-it notes that many of us did at the All Church Retreat. And we asked you, I forget the exact question, but the point was, kind of tell us the places where, you're, where you are loving others. What does that look like? And it was fun this week, right? It was fun this week to kind of look over some of those. And one of those, uh, one of them was this. One of them was... Uh, someone who, who, who invited a widow over into, into their home to have a meal together. And I thought, you know what that's doing? That's extending the table. What we did on Sunday morning, it's extending it into what we do every single day. Right? Or, or, or you continue to begin to, to think about it. there was somebody else who, who, who was praying with another neighbor uh, uh, um, who was not doing well. It looked like maybe she was on her deathbed and she was agnostic and she was, she was sharing the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ amidst the death that seemed to be imminent. And I thought this is somebody who's heard us talk about the hope of Jesus here and has always looked out and said that this isn't just for me. This is for my neighbor as well. Right? Or, or, or there is a story about the person who listened and cried with a coworker who had just lost her brother. And I think that's exactly that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're coming around. We created space last week for us to weep and to know that that's a part of what it means to be holy, is to be with others, to be the presence of Christ amidst that difficulty. As someone else who, who helped their neighbor to spread mulch. That's not glamorous. Mulch is kind of gross, I think, but it's very normal, very mundane, very ordinary. But I thought, well, surely if Jesus can make water or a spoon holy, he can make mulch holy if we begin to see ourselves as instruments set apart by God, set apart from the world, but for the world. See, we can make any of these moments holy. Maybe if you look at this through the lens of Jeremiah, Maybe it's how are those, what are those ways that we cannot oppress the foreigner in our midst? That rather than getting frustrated when an immigrant or a refugee doesn't speak English as well as we do who are raised here, maybe what we can do is try to welcome them with a sense of grace. Maybe we can even learn a word or two of their language as a way of saying, welcome, we're glad that you're here. Maybe it's a way of making sure that our beds, our marital beds stay holy. Making sure that we aren't looking at others as objects of our anger or our desire. But rather as creations of God. Maybe it's a way of not bowing down to to their gods of consumerism and seeing that our money can actually be used, can be holy as it is used to spread the good news of Jesus as it is used to feed the hungry to give shelter to the homeless. Maybe maybe that's what it means to make something as mundane and, and ordinary as money into something that is holy. Maybe it means, someone has suggested, the way that you work and realizing that you are working not for your boss, not even for yourself or for a paycheck, though those are one Wonderful things, but that you are doing this, as Paul says, as unto the Lord. Might we work with more joy if we understood that? All of these things are ways for us to be a people who are becoming brighter and more beautiful, a people who are becoming more holy as Jesus is holy. And this is what we are told to do. So my hope in my prayer is that when we gather in this holy place that it will be a time of worship, a time of joy and celebration. But I also hope that the difference or the distance between here and wherever it is that you work, live or play will begin to diminish week after week after week as you begin to see how whatever it is that you are doing, wherever it is that you are going, how those things can be moments of holiness. As you are an instrument of God, bringing Christ and his grace and his love and his holiness into wherever it is that you find yourself. Set apart by God from the world, but make no mistake about it, for the world. Amen.